Blog Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Progressive News Network at Blog Talk Radio. I am right now the producer and your host, Janine Moloff. Um, my colleague, Brooke Hines, is on hiatus right now, well-earned and well-deserved. And our um, news director and founder, He's doing the poetry beat, and we do have a name Rick, Rick Spizak, and we do have a piece that Rick sent us in, sent in to us, which I'm sure you're all going to enjoy. Um, tonight, we're changing up and experimenting with the format a little bit. Um, so we're going to start with our big story, and then we have a secondary story, and then we have um, a few other little features. So let's just get started. So the big story this week is about this juvenile court judge in Tennessee, in in Rutherford County, Tennessee, that hit all the airwaves, okay? It's been on TV, it's been on radio and podcasts, uh, social media, and, you know, even in the the newspapers and magazines. And her name is Judge Donna Scott Davenport. And she is the juvenile judge in Rutherford County, Tennessee, which is an area that encompasses Murfreesboro, places like that. And so this week, there was this big story that broke a little while ago, and it was um, published in ProPublica, okay, excuse me, and um, it was done in conjunction with Nashville Public Radio. And this is something that is truly just disgusting. Um, Basically, the the headline for the story was, black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. That's the headline. And this was written by uh, Mariba Knight of Nashville Public Radio and Ken Armstrong from ProPublica. And this dates back to October 8th. And Again, we're going to give our little interpretation of this. So it goes on to say, quote, Judge Donna Scott Davenport oversees a juvenile justice system in Rutherford County, Tennessee, with a staggering history of jailing children. She said kids must face consequences, which rarely seem to apply to her or the other adults in charge, end quote. So that's our first story, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Our second story is we're going to discuss the ongoing saga with Senator Kirsten Cinema and the infamous, now infamous bathroom protesters. Um, these are protesters that were desperate to speak to their senator, and she's been teaching a, a single class at Arizona State University. It's a public university, but they couldn't get her to even talk to them, so they followed her into the bathroom. She ignored them, and so now the campus police at Arizona State University have requested that charges be filed against the bathroom protesters with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Again, it gets deeper and deeper. As I said a minute ago, we also have an essay contribution from our founder and former news director, Rick Spizak, which I will read. And then finally, we will begin a new feature, which I call, forgive me if some of you have tender ears, 
the jackass report. And that will speak to all types of what I call jackassery in the political sphere. Okay? Uh, Dr. Rashad Ritchie has his Karen report and what he calls Karenicity. So I borrowed a page from Dr. Ritchie, who I totally respect. And so now we have the jackass report. And we're going to be talking about not Karenicity, although I'm sure there will be some Karens in the report, but all types of jackassery. So let's get started with that first story. Again, the headline in ProPublica uh, in conjunction with National Public Radio is, quote, black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. This is about Judge Donna Scott Davenport in, um, excuse me, Rutherford County, Tennessee. She is the only juvenile judge there. So this story is broken into chapters. And what what happened to these babies, and they are babies, is just too vile to be believed. First of all, um, Judge Davenport, I guess I could call her Judge Donna, she has incarcerated children as young as age seven. Okay? These babies are led away from school in handcuffs, crying. Sometimes they get so upset they vomit, and not for any serious crime. So let's go to the beginning. Chapter 1. So the story is broken into chapters. Chapter 1 is entitled, What in the World? And it happened Friday, April 15, 2016, at uh, Hobgood Elementary School in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So these three police officers had come into the assistant principal's office at Hobgood Elementary, and the school principal, a woman named Tammy Garrett, just was confused, didn't know what to do. These officers, one of them was wearing a tactical vest, like a SWAT, a SWAT officer would use, because, I don't know, maybe, maybe spitballs could become life-threatening. I, I don't know. Um, and... One officer, the one wearing the tactical vest, told her, go get the kid. The second officer said, don't get the kid. A third officer just remained quiet. Now, the principal, she knew the police had been sent to arrest some kids. And I, and all, there were four girls they were going to arrest. And by no small coincidence, all of them were black. Um, one was in sixth grade, there were two fourth graders and a third grader, the youngest was eight. And the youngest one, you know, the quote from the article is, on this sunny Friday afternoon in spring, she wore her hair in pigtails. Now, I have not only some rage towards the police and this judge, but I have some rage towards this elementary school principal. I don't care if there were police officers there or not. When police officers come to arrest babies and put them in handcuffs, there's a question of whether or not that constitutes child abuse on the part of the officers. And I, I taught for 30 years, and I can tell you right now, had I been that principal, I would have directed my social worker to make a hotline call to the Department of Social Services as well as to those parents because those officers were out of line. These are juveniles. The reason why we have a separate juvenile court system is because children's brains are not fully developed. So 
it is useless to try and hold them accountable like you would an adult. They're not fully competent. They're still babies. I, I don't know. What were these police going to do next? You know, beat up a two-year-old? What? And I'm being sarcastic, but this, again, this principal, Tammy Garrett, was out of line, too. You know, if she had been sharp, she would have contacted, she would have had her social worker, she would have, she would have been contacting that hotline because those officers were guilty of child abuse. You don't put a child in handcuffs, which is what they did. So what did all this, what brought these cops to this elementary school? Well, apparently a couple weeks ago, before this incident, there was a video that popped up on YouTube. And it showed these two little boys. One was five and one was six years old. And they're throwing, really, you know, the type of little baby punches that five and six-year-olds do. If you ever watch little kids in kindergarten, first grade, what they call punches really is more like a little shove at a bigger boy. The bigger boy walked away. Some other kids tagged along. Some were yelling. It was just a regular reset. You know, one kid insults another kid's mother, which is what started this. Apparently, it was posted to YouTube, but there were screenshots, and the video was heavily filtered. So you couldn't actually see their faces, okay, and that's important. The police at Hobgood Elementary were there because of the video. But here's the crazy part. You think, okay, they were going for the boys that were punching the little the five- and six-year-olds were punching the bigger boy who walked away. No, that's not what it was. They were rounding up kids all right, but they were going for the kids that watched and didn't do anything. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is the insane part, okay? So apparently this little video that was going on um, – they, these police officers rounding up kids at this elementary school. Keep in mind, neither the, nobody in the police department and neither the police department nor the arresting officers on the scene at the elementary school could actually identify any individual child in that video, okay, because the filter made their faces fuzzy. But what they had was... Uh, some clear voices, one little girl trying to break up the fight saying, quote, stop Tay-Tay, stop Tay-Tay, stop Tay-Tay. She was a fourth grader Hobgood, and her initials were EJ. This is what they based their arrest on. Now, the confusion was traced in part to absence. There, was, there is a police officer who had been regularly assigned to Hobgood. And this was basically a school resource officer. And this is another reason why, again, there is no legitimate need for school resource officers. And a lot of parents, and I know I'm diverting the story a little bit, a lot of parents do not understand. They think that, well, the, the, the um, salary for that school resource officer is coming from the police department budget. It isn't. It's coming from that school budget. So when they have a full-time school resource officer, that means they probably don't necessarily have money for a full-time counselor. It's draining your school budget to have a cop there. So the cop that was the school resource officer at Hobgood Elementary um, didn't show up that morning. 
He didn't. He knew the arrests were coming down, and you know, he wussed out and stayed home. He said he had chest pains and took a sick day. Now, the also absent was a police officer who had investigated the video, and the officer who actually, as they say, instigated the arrest, and that was an officer named Crystal Templeton. And Officer Templeton assured the principal that she would be there. She also told the principal, Tammy Garrett, that there would be no handcuffs. The police would be discreet. But Crystal Temp- Officer Templeton did not show up. The principal, Tammy Garrett, texted her, how's timing? No answer. So instead, Officer Templeton was, at, was that afternoon gathering petitions. And then she went to the Rutherford County Juvenile Detention Center, which is a jail for babies. There's surveillance cameras all over the place. There's 48 cells and 64 beds. Now, mind you, keep this in mind, they're putting babies in prison cells. There's no guesswork here. And then Officer Templeton waited for the kids to be brought to her. And who is the juvenile court judge that oversees all of this? Hmm. A woman by the name of Judge Donna Scott Davenport. And she is very proud of her reputation, and she's been there forever. Um, she has what she calls their process, or she refers to it as, quote, our process for arresting children. And she appoints the jailer, and then she uses what she, they call a filter system to decide arbitrarily which kids are going to put in prison cells. And Judge Donna Davenport is very proud of this. Now, under her stewardship, the statewide average in Tennessee for children that are actually locked up in in jail is 5%. The the average in Rutherford County under Judge Judge Davenport is 48%. So Rutherford County, this is one of their bylines, locked up kids in almost half of the cases. Now, the state of Tennessee used to publish very detailed statistical reports on what the juvenile courts were doing throughout the state. And last year available was 2014, and they, you know, they compiled reports for all 98 courts. Okay. The state stopped publishing the data, even as it was named prominently in a lawsuit against Rutherford County. That's mighty mighty uh, convenient. So let's get back to the arrest here. The assistant principal, and I, I, I think of that. Tammy Garrett is not the principal. She's the assistant principal. Uh, in her office at Hobgood Elementary, <clears throat> there, there's the, these three different cops, and they're all telling her to do different things. Um, there was one, and you have to understand, at Hobgood Elementary, two-thirds of the students there are black or Latino. And it's right settled in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, growing suburbs. You know, this is systemic racism, folks. You know, Judge Davenport is white also. This is systemic racism. This is literally the school-to-prison pipeline. It's a, it's not middle school. It's not high school. These are elementary school babies. And if I had been one of those mamas, yes, I would have demanded charges of child abuse, 
against those officers. Um, so there were three officers there. Officer Garrett told, I, I'm sorry. Um, the officer who told the assistant principal not to get the kids was Chris Williams, who was a black officer, and he had been a Murfreesboro police officer for five years. And according to this article, you know, he had a daughter who was nine, and in his mind he pictured her, God forbid, being arrested. <clears throat> and he was worried he was going to end up in federal court over this. Um, but, you know, he thought about quitting, according to the story, but he tried to get someone to intervene, but he couldn't find anyone to call it off. Okay. The officer that remained silent was Albert Miles III. Miles was also black, and he had friends who hated police, but his dad was a cop. And he wanted to, believe, he wanted to prove the police could be trusted. Well, Officer Miles, I can tell you right now, this sure as hell ain't the way to do it. And that afternoon, Officer Miles had been pulled out of roll call um, to go arrest some kids at Hobgood. Now, the third officer is Jeff Carroll, and he's white. So it's no small coincidence here that the higher-ups wanted to have a three cops coming to arrest some little black babies. Two of them were black themselves. Now, we should have called their, their union and refused. Okay? It was an illegal order. I don't care what the judge said. The third officer, the white officer, his name is Jeff Carroll. He was a patrol officer and a SWAT team member. He was probably the one wearing the tactical vest. Um, and he was praised as a leader by his supervisors and, quote, cool under pressure. Yeah, because, you know, those spitballs coming from those kindergartners must be really nasty. Painful, right? And Officer Carroll was the one barking at the assistant principal, get the kids. The assistant principal asked if she could call their parents first. Officer Carroll told her no. Now, the assistant principal also told the police that one of the girls that was going to be rounded up had diabetes, and she received some of her treatments. Uh, she, she received treatment when she would get home after school. So the principal begged, let me call her parent. And the police finally let her call the parent. And um, she was allowed to get a shot in the nurse's office before being taken to jail, that is. And of the officers that were in this, Officer Carroll was the most aggressive, according to the assistant principal. Again, I have taught for over 30 years, and I can tell you, Police don't belong in schools. School resource officers are not. You know, I have seen school resource officers claim that they're, you know, they're like counselors and, and, and you know, and, and teachers and doctors. Like, no, you're not. You're just cops. Counselors are people that go to college for that specific academic discipline. Posing as a counselor when you're not one, that's fraud. There is no place for cops in our schools, especially not elementary school. None. None. And putting babies in prison cells? That is child abuse. They rounded up the kids, you know, and including the girl with diabetes, 
and the eight-year-old. And the assistant principal tried to get them ready, you know, saying the police were there because of a video of a fight. And then the girls are rounded up, and Officer Carroll, you know, the SWAT team member, pulled out his handcuffs right in the assistant principal's face. And then he said, quote, we're going now, this is according to the assistant principal, we're going now, we're going now, there's no more talk, we're going now. And then Officer Carroll proceeded to verbally abuse the assistant principal, yelling at her, she was bullied, she was worried that she was going to be arrested herself. This is when she should have called. Anybody's listening, okay? When the cops come and do this, she should have, one, instructed, as I said before, instructed her social worker or somebody there to call the child abuse hotline and put the officers on report, number one. Two, she should have called the school district um, attorneys as well as her own attorney and the union attorneys. And then she should have called the media. So after she, after the assistant principal was afraid that she was going to get arrested herself, she backed off. The girls are, the little girls are crying and screaming. And Officer Carroll then handcuffed the sixth grader. And later, when he was asked why he handcuffed this child, he said because policy allowed him to. Now, after the sixth grade girl had been handcuffed, she fell to her knees. Then Officer Miles, you know, one of the black officers, handcuffed the eight-year-old with pigtails. And his excuse was, quote, just acting out of habit. And then he realized, wait a minute, quote, I guess my brain finally caught up with what was going on. So that they were walking to the patrol car, and he finally removed the, the handcuffs from the eight-year-old baby, you know, with the pigtails. The fourth grade diabetes stayed behind to see the nurse. Um, this goes on and on and on, okay? You know, this is, this is just too evil, okay? Um, finally, when Officer Miles got the last two girls, so there were several of them, the two fourth graders, he's going to his patrol car with them, and he ran into an angry parent, and it was a father demanding answers. And, um, you know, the father told him to F you, and I don't blame him. This article written by ProPublica makes the two black officers, especially Officer Miles, look more sympathetic. And I understand he felt intimidated, but you know what? At some point, you have to stand for something. I don't have sympathy for Officer Miles because he went along with it. He had an option. He could have reported it for child abuse, too. He could have refused to obey an illegal order and then reported, this, this is child abuse. I, I can't say it. I can't say emphasize it's enough. Okay? You don't handcuff babies and then put them in prison cells. Okay, so, but apparently this is the only time this happened. This is the 
what ProPublica calls the, quote, ugly and unsettling culture in Rutherford County, one spanning decades. Quote, in the wake of these mass arrests, lawyers would see inside a secretive legal system that's supposed to protect kids, but in this county did the opposite. Officials flouted the law by wrongfully arresting and jailing children. Okay. One of their worst practices was stopped following the events at Hobgood, but the conditions that allowed the lawlessness remained. The adults in charge failed, yet they're still in charge. Tennessee systems for protecting children failed, yet they haven't been fixed, end quote. So this story goes on, and apparently Judge Donna Scott Davenport um, refers to herself as the mother of the county. Now, she's a mother, all right. An MF one, not the mother of the county, excuse my language. Um, so at Hobgood, uh, over the video, 11 children were arrested. The media picked up the story. Parents, community leaders condemned the actions. A Nashville pastor called them out, calling it unconscionable, inexcusable, insane. My computer is freezing and I don't know why. Three state legislators um, complained about it, but the juvenile court judge at Rutherford County is in charge, Donna Scott Davenport, and she has been there. It's an elected position, mind you, since 2000, and she has also been the job's only juvenile judge, okay? And she refers to herself as the mother of the county, and my attitude is, Judge, judge Donna, you're a mother, all right, not that kind. Um, and when the, when the local TV station caught up with Judge Davenport, her, what she had to say is, quote, we are in, I'm going to use a southern accent to mock her, we are in a crisis with our children in Rutherford County. I've never seen it this bad, end quote. This woman's despicable. Make no mistake about it. She is the juvenile justice system in Rutherford County. She's the one that appoints magistrates. She's the one setting the rules. She's the one that presides over all the cases. That includes everything from kids accused of breaking the law to parents accused of neglecting their kids. Okay? She has damaged children in thousands of families. Okay? Um, there was one man quoted who is now in his late 20s who said the following, quote, she's, and he was a kid that was in trouble that apparently faced Judge Davenport. Quote, she's been the judge ever since I was a kid. And he went on to say, if she's having a bad day, most definitely you're going to have a bad day. So not only does Judge Davenport brag about her, her position, but then she does a monthly radio segment on WGNS, which is a local station. And she's done it for the last 10 years. And she basically pontificates over what she sees as a breakdown in morals and a lack of respect. So, again, I'm going to do the Southern accent to mock this horrible woman. To quote Judge Davenport, it's worse now than I've ever seen it. It's just the worst I've ever seen. And she goes on to describe um, her work as a calling. Quote, I'm here on a mission. It's not a job. It's God's mission. 
I'm seeing a lot of aggression in my nine and ten year olds. Okay, so this woman, she not only pontificates on this, but then she waxes, um, uh, she basically uh, dreams of this past that really didn't exist, you know. Talks about times when families ate dinner together and parents knew where their kids were, who their friends were, and everybody just had a home landline and not a cell phone, and there weren't any video games or internet or social media because it's all poison for kids. Well, if a child's unsupervised, that can be true, but that doesn't give you the right to abuse other people's kids by putting them in jail. Okay? This is the woman that is responsible for all this. And then, you know, there's some more quotes from her, okay? On the, this is from the radio, and she... Um, Let's listeners get an idea of what she does. To quote Judge Davenport, I've locked up one seven-year-old in 13 years, and that was a heartbreak. But eight and nine-year-olds and older are very common now, end quote. And then she has another saying, quote, God don't make no junk, end quote. And then another one of her sayings to basically terrorize the kids is, I'm going to let you be young and dumb one time, end quote. So this is the woman that is abusing children of color in Rutherford County, and she's been allowed to get away with this for over 20 years. She just has. Um, She just, she says, children need consequences. Well, yeah. But when they're doing childish things, you know, an appropriate consequence would be time out or, you know, you miss out on that little birthday party. Not not having big scary cops terrorize them, put them in handcuffs, and put them in a jail cell and throw them away. And sometimes these kids are left in solitary on top of it all. But to quote Judge Davenport again about how children need consequences, to quote her, Quote, being detained in our facility is not a picnic at all. It's not supposed to be. It's a consequence for an action, end quote. So Davenport is really a character, okay? She goes on, you know, she apparently she used to be in um, different law enforcement agencies before she license as an attorney. Um, she claims that she can see subtle signs of gang activity. You know, quote, wearing something to the right or to the left or a color here or a color there, end quote. Okay, she's an idiot. All right, this woman, she started as a dispatcher for the Murfreesboro Police Department. Um, then at night she went to law school and basically she couldn't pass the bar exam. She finally passed it on her fifth attempt. But that was like nine or ten years after she graduated from law school. Um, And then in 1998, she became a juvenile court referee, which is like a judge. One of the county's judges appointed her. Uh, Then the next year, Rutherford County violated federal law 191 times by keeping kids locked up too long 
And that was according to a story that was published by the Tennessean. Uh, apparently, according to Tennessee law, kids held for minor acts like truancy were supposed to appear before a judge within 24 hours and then released no more than a day after that. The newspaper interviewed Davenport, who estimated half those violations occurred because a kid had cursed her or someone else. Okay? So this was Rutherford. This was Davenport doing this. And um, for cursing, uh, Judge Davenport said that she typically sentenced kids to two to ten days in jail. To quote her, was I in violation? Heck yes. But am I going to allow a child to cuss anyone out? Heck no. This woman's a looney tune, I'm telling you. But again, she's got away with it. Clear violation. Okay? Clear violation of federal law. 191 times. Nothing happened. And don't tell me part of it isn't because these were children of color. Of course it's because they were children of color. It is systemic racism. It is the school-to-prison pipeline. So in August 2000, after a little, not quite three months after that story was published, you know, about how the Rutherford County had violated federal law like that, um, Rutherford County elected Judge Davenport to this this job of juvenile court judge, which was newly created. It was, you could almost you could almost think that it was it was uh, engineered just for her. Okay. Uh, now, normally with juveniles, police in Tennessee would avoid cuffs and custody, especially in cases that are rather trivial. They just you know serve a summons, and the kids are told to show up with their parents in court. But not in Rutherford County. Okay. When Murfreesboro officers arrested the kids at Hobgood, they were following Judge Donna Davenport's, quote, process. And what was Judge Davenport's process? One, arrest. Two, transport to the detention center for some screening. And then three, filing charging papers. And then it says, quote, it is so ordered. And that was written in a 2003 memo regarding Judge Davenport's instructions. And then four years later, so like in 07, Judge Davenport um, said that even children accused of minor violations like truancy have to be taken into custody and, and placed in jail. Now, Davenport, Judge Davenport once was quoted by the Murfreesboro Daily News Journal as saying, quote, I know I'm harsh. I'm very harsh. I'd like to think I'm fair, but I'm tough, end quote. And I'd like to think that Judge, Judge Davenport is a racist Nazi, pure and simple. So the law did catch up with Judge Davenport a little bit. In 2016, the Tennessee Board of Judicial Conduct did publicly reprimand her. Okay? There was a family law uh, issue, and a father's lawyers asked to move his case to another county. And according to Tennessee law, they're allowed to ask to get that change of venue. But Davenport called, quote, the father and or his attorneys a sneaky snake. Okay, 
And that's what the reprimand said. And then she ordered the transcript of her words forwarded so that she could let the next judge know about her own animosity. So the reprimand um, declared that Davenport's, quote, intemperate conduct, end quote, threatened the right to a fair hearing. Now, there have been some cases, other cases where appeals courts have um, criticized Davenport through her blunt language. In one, Davenport was overturned twice. Okay, and this is serious, too. She decided that a mother had neglected her daughter and then granted custody of that child to another couple. Now, two higher courts um, disagreed and ordered Judge Davenport to reunite the mother with her child. Did Judge Davenport follow what the higher courts instructed her to do? No, she did not. Instead, she terminated the mother's parental rights. And the other, the other uh, couple adopted the girl after being extorted by Davenport to move quickly. And that was as based on a state court of appeals opinion. The adoption did go through. Um, and even e the adoption went through at the same time, a challenge to the parental termination ordered by Judge Davenport um, was still pending, which means it was illegitimate, okay? Uh, in the second go-round, the state appeals court judge um, said during oral argument that, quote, our little system works pretty simply. If a higher court tells a lower court to do something, the lower court does it. That didn't happen in that case, end quote. And then two months later, the appeals court overruled Davenport a second time, saying that it was, quote, troubled by the proceedings to this point, uh, and then they ordered Davenport to reunite the mother and child, quote, expeditiously. Okay. So, there's more on Judge Davenport, though. Besides the fact that she ruins children's lives and abuses them by placing them in jail, these babies, um, through a spokesperson, Judge Davenport refused to be interviewed by ProPublica, and apparently they sent her 13 pages of questions. Um, that's a lot, 13 pages of questions. So at an earlier time when she was asked about the county's arrest practices, Davenport told lawyers that, quote, she can't tell law enforcement what to do. Well, it looks like she does exactly what she's doing. And she told a local newspaper that through her court, she is producing a lot of success stories. And she told radio listeners, quote, I want the children that come in front of me to leave better than they came in, end quote. Well, they don't. They leave damaged. They leave as abused children. For the life of me, I can't understand why these police officers and Judge Davenport and anyone connected with this process hasn't been charged with aiding and abetting the abuse of a minor child. You know, in my home state of Missouri, there is a state law that if you suspect that a child is being abused or neglected, okay, if you are a required reporter, you must report it. Failure to do so can cost that required reporter five years in state prison. Now, what are required reporters? Teachers, school administrators, counselors, doctors, 
Oh, yeah, police officers and judges. I just wonder if there isn't something similar on the Tennessee books. So this goes on, and, you know, the officer that instigated the, um, you know, the arrest themselves, Crystal Templeton, um, she wanted to arrest every kid that watched the fight, okay, and because she believed that, quote, juvenile court is about rehabilitation. No, it's not, okay. Uh, Crystal Templeton believed that an appropriate charge for these babies would be, quote, conspiracy to commit assault. She's an idiot. Uh, but then she met with Amy Anderson and Sherry Hamlet that are two judicial commissioners that are authorized for Rutherford County to issue arrest warrants. And Anderson told Templeton um, the only child who could be charged with conspiring was the kid who recorded video on the fight on a cell phone. So they didn't have a charge, so they checked the state's criminal code on a computer. And they couldn't really find anything. All right. Um, so <clears throat> what they did is they came up with basically, and this is the big part of the story, you know, the, the actual uh, heading, you know, is basically they arrested a child for, you know, crime that doesn't exist. And what Templeton found was a Tennessee statute that defined, quote, criminal responsibility for conduct of another, end quote. And basically it says in part that a person is, quote, criminally responsible for an offense committed by another if, quote, the person causes or aids an innocent or irresponsible person to engage in the offense or directs another to commit the offense or fails to make a reasonable effort to prevent the commission of the offense, end quote. So they, they just decided, and this is what Temp, Officer Templeton said, yeah, that's the charge, end quote. Now, first of all, it wasn't Crystal, Police Officer Crystal Templeton's job to decide the charge, okay? And keep in mind, Crystal Templeton was the school resource officer, too, at one point in time. She wasn't at this time. She used to be. Um, usually it's the prosecutor, the prosecuting attorney that decides what, if any, charges are going to occur after they review the evidence and the police investigation. But not in Tennessee. See, Tennessee has counties that are allowed to hire what are called judicial commissioners to do that job, okay? And these judicial commissioners do everything from issuing warrants to setting bail to also conducting probable cause hearings, okay? These are tasks that usually traditionally fall to judges or prosecutors. And here's the kicker. These judicial commissioners don't have to have any legal training. No. They're just appointed. County judges recommend people for the job, and county commissioners appoint them. And these judicial commissioners, this job is open to anyone in Tennessee with a legal driver's license and a high school diploma. And it's better if they have, uh, they have a little college-level coursework or vocational training I'm, oh, I'm sorry, or vocational training and some office work. These are the people deciding this. 
I, I've never heard such insane incompetence. I mean, to use that southern accent again, what's going on in Tennessee, in the Tennessee judicial process? I mean, are y'all just inbred or what? I'm sorry, this is insanity. And normally I'm not quite this off the cuff, but the idea these babies are suffering because of these bigoted asses is just beyond, it just drives me crazy. Um, so, and these judicial commissioners, the job doesn't attract people that are well-educated anyway. It, it basically pays, let's see, in 08, when this one uh, judicial commissioner, Hamlet, started, they made $8.50 an hour. And her application listed she had a high school diploma, no college. Uh, the job she had before was in a post office where her responsibilities included, quote, computer work and general office duties. These are the people deciding who's going to be charged. Again, to the Tennessee Supreme Court, as well as the governor and the Tennessee legislature, how do you spell criminal malfeasance? Because that's what it is. We have criminal malfeasance. We have massive child abuse through incarcerating young children. This is insane. What happened in Hobgood wasn't the only time this has happened. All right? There are more instances. Um, Now, keep in mind, in Rutherford County, they have their own juvenile detention center. And this is chapter four of the story, and the subtitle is We Will Hold the Juvenile. And they took the 12-year-old twins, so that these, all these kids are involved. And they keep in mind, the kids they arrested weren't the kids that were fighting. They were the kids that were just standing around. And it wasn't a vicious fight. It was two little boys, five and six years old, trying to hit a bigger kid who walked away. That's all this was. And so these police officers, especially Officer Carroll, decided that they needed to traumatize and abuse these babies. So the odds that, how do I put this? In Tennessee, the the legislature did rightly place, quote, narrow limits on when a child accused of being delinquent can be held in a secure lockdown prior to receiving a court hearing, end quote, from the story. And the kid is to fit in one of six categories that are all very precisely defined. The categories include <clears throat> being a jail escapee. There must be some wicked kindergartners in Rutherford County. Or being wanted somewhere else for a felony offense. Or being accused, quote, on substantial evidence of a crime resulting in a, in serious injury or death. Damn! They must have some really dangerous kindergartners and preschoolers in Rutherford County. And if I'm mocking it, it's because this is so asinine. When I read this story, I could just feel my blood boil because nothing about what this idiot judge did is legitimate. 
Nothing about what the cops did is legitimate. And frankly, I don't understand why the Attorney General of Tennessee isn't investigating and criminally prosecuting Judge Davenport and some of these officers. Maybe they like covering things up, especially if it involves children of color. But we're not going to let them do that. And I'm not making light of it. If I'm mocking Judge Davenport, it's because this is so damn stupid. None of those children met that. Okay? So the 12-year-olds were charged on negligible evidence with a crime, and this is straight from the story. The two 12-year-olds were charged on negligible, negligible evidence. They didn't have anything. Quote, with a crime that's not an actual crime for something in which no one was seriously hurt. But they put him in jail anyway. Because Rutherford County has their own justice. They have a written procedure, which is, according to this article, imprecise and broad. And it boils down to, quote, whether a child was considered by jailers to be a true threat. As if these, now keep in mind, Rutherford County, when they accept kids into their, their juvenile jail, including from other counties, they get paid. This is a money-making scheme as well. In fact, in the fiscal year that included April 2016, when all this happened at Hopgood Elementary, Redford County jailed, jailed 986 children for a grand total of 7,932 days. This is insanity. Okay. There was a 12-year-old boy who's, they're talking about some of the different cases now, spent two nights in the detention center, according to court records. Now, while he was there, he was placed in solitary confinement. Why was he placed in solitary confinement? It was a punishment because he stood at his cell window, according to a lawsuit that was later filed. Okay? And this is JB number two. The young man's name is Jacorius Brinkley. He's 18 now. And he was fine with ProPublica using his name. Apparently, according to Jacorius, this guard kept walking past his cell saying, quote, quote, you can't, you can't be by the door. You've got to sit down. Now, keep in mind, to place any child in solitary confinement, again, is child abuse. Period. That's it. So who runs this detention center when all this is going on? Well, the jailer's name is Lynn Duke. Um, Davenport, Judge Davenport had picked someone else at first, but Judge Davenport's appointee was arrested on a, a drug charge hours after receiving the job. So then Davenport named Lynn Duke as the replacement. Lynn Duke is a former youth services officer. Duke reports directly to Davenport. Um, in 05, Duke emailed Judge Davenport saying she's feeling guilty for not checking in more. 
quote, and I'm going to use that southern accent again because these people deserve to be mocked, among other things. Quote, if you need me to do anything, please tell me. Girl. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that was what lit. If you need me to do anything, please tell me. That was what Lynn Duke said. Davenport, just Davenport replied, girl, if I had any problems or concerns, you would hear from me. You do a great job, end quote. I feel like adding, uh-huh, and she can do shake and bake, too. I'm sorry, but this is just, how these people got away with this for so long, I'll never know, except it wasn't reported. Um, when Lynn Duke first received the, the, when she first took this, this jailer job of, you know, let me back up here, okay? Sorry, folks. When Lynn Duke accepted the job as running the detention center in, um, you know, in 01, the county, Rutherford County had kept kids in a 19th century jail that was separate from the court building. And there was a local newspaper editorial that described this, okay, where there were kids, children, shackled together in orange jumpsuits, quote, shuffling along the sidewalk and into the judicial building. Quote, not that we're afraid to see juveniles cuffed and heading towards justice, but it is a disturbing thing that could be avoided if juvenile court could be held at the detention center, end quote, the editorial said. What the WTF, okay? First of all, it is shameful that the local newspaper editorial wasn't really criticizing the fact that these children were shackled in chains together, forced to wear orange jumpsuits like adult criminals, that they didn't have a problem with. It was just the sight of it. I, I, you know, there's a problem in Tennessee. Okay? That's just evil. So then in 03, Rutherford County hired a consulting firm. <clears throat> they were tasked with designing a new detention center. And they produced a really long report. Um, and they let Rutherford County know they were locking up kids at you know, unusually high rates. And the firm wrote, quote, jailing children should be, quote, the last of a number of options. Less restrictive alternatives not only save money, they're more effective in reducing recidivism, making them better for children and the community, end quote. So the firm told them to scale it down, build a 35-bed juvenile detention center. You can add on later, build shelter care, 10 beds, a residential setting, or runaways and other kids that really don't pose a threat to public safety. My question is this. If they don't pose a threat to public safety, why are you putting them in jail? Okay. So the county in 05, Rutherford County didn't like what that consulting firm said, and they rejected the advice. Instead, they built a 64-bed detention center, no shelter care. And the center's attached to new courtrooms for Davenport, and that opened in 08. And the cost, uh, which was combined with that of a correctional work center for adults, was $23.3 million. You know, that's money that could have been better spent in providing enough services to those children in school. 
okay? But Lynn Duke and Judge Davenport, they loved it. They, you know, Davenport called it a, a dream come true. You'll see booking. Oh, then they, they offered public tours, too. And according to Judge Davenport, on the tour, the public tour, you'll see booking, bring your family, have a little piece of cake. And then Davenport told her radio listeners in 2015 about, you know, complimenting the jail staff. You know, it's a jail for babies, mind you. Quote, we are a well-oiled machine, so there is not much to report. That's what she told, that's what, that's what Lynn Duke told county commissioners, if I stand corrected. Now, Lynn Duke, to her, you know, again, she runs the jail for these babies. To her credit, she did fire one officer who pepper sprayed a kid in his cell. Of course, the kid chased the officer down and beat him up. <laughs> Good for the kid. I, 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 the more I read this story and look at it, the more disgusted I become. Um, so let's talk about the filter system in 08. So the new center opened in 08, and Lynn Duke incorporated the filter system, and that was written actually into the jail's manual, the written manual. So according to the jail's written manual, when police, I'm just reading straight from this later, okay? Quote, when police arrest a child, they bring the child to jail. There under the system, staff decide whether to hold the child before a detention hearing, which could take place days later. Say a child is hauled in for something minor, like skipping school. Under the filter system, the child will be locked up if deemed, quote, unruly. But the filter system defines unruly simply as, quote, a true threat, while, quote, true threat is not defined at all. So any child, no matter the charge, who is considered a true threat, however that's interpreted, can end up being locked up. Okay? End quote. That's straight from the ProPublica story. So it doesn't matter how young the child is. Heck, I suspect it could be a preschooler, a three-year-old still wearing diapers. If they're considered a true threat, they could be locked up. And I guess they could, what, lock up the baby for crapping in his diaper? I don't know. Um, and then the police can also intervene. There was a 2013 email in this story where Lynn Duke encouraged the officers, the sheriff's officers, to notify her staff if they wanted a kid detained. According to this memo, Lynn Duke wrote, quote, if they say I really want this kid held, nine times out of ten, we can make it happen, end quote. She also uh, went further. There was a memo to school resource officers writing, quote, even if we would normally release a juvenile, any time a local law enforcement officer request juvenile be detained and agrees to come to court to testify, we will hold the juvenile, end quote. So, Jacorius Brinkley, that was a 12-year-old that was put in solitary confinement. He did join in a lawsuit um, to stop the filter system in 2016. Um, Lynn Duke was deposed in 2017 and she called the system a guideline. 
And then she was asked when it applied and what it dictated, and Duke just said over and over again, quote, depends on the situation. So a lawyer asked Lynn Duke, quote, is it your policy or not? Duke said, quote, no, yes, it, it's a policy to use when necessary. Again, Lynn Duke refused to um, be interviewed by ProPublica. She wrote in an email, quote, I appreciate your interest in Rutherford County and its use, but declined to participate at this time, end quote. She also went on to say, though, that Rutherford County has, quote, the best juvenile detention center in the state of Tennessee, end quote. But there's a profit motive, people. It goes deeper. Rutherford County doesn't just jail their own kids. They have contracts with other, with other counties in Tennessee to jail other counties' children, and they charge $175 a day. And Lynn Duke was quoted at a public meeting, quote, if we have empty beds, we will fill them with a paying customer. Didn't know it was about customers. Um, you know, and these people just have no conscience, okay? Lynn Duke reports to a county commissioner's public safety committee every month. Um, Commissioners regularly ask about the number of beds filled, quote, just like a hotel, one commissioner said of the jail. Quote, with breakfast provided and it's not a continental, added a second. End quote. There was another meeting, a commissioner said it would be, quote, cool if instead of being a cost center, the jail could be a profit center, end quote. Okay. These people... They think it's a joke, abusing other people's babies. And these kids are not coming out better than when they went in. You know, you can read this particular <clears throat> story in ProPublica. Um, so I'm going to move on here. A few more things here before I move on to the next story, though. Um, so... In July 2016, one of the 10-year-olds, EJ, uh, sued Officer Templeton in federal court. She did so through her mother. And her lawyer's questions were very germane. Now, the lawsuit was then expanded later into a class action suit against Rutherford County itself. And the lawyers wanted to know a couple of things. One, how many kids were there who, like EJ, had been improperly arrested? In other words, on a on, on a non-existent crime, a non-existent charge. It's not in the code at all. Um, and the other question was, how many kids like Jacorius Brinkley had been improperly jailed? And these lawyers gathered very large samples of arrest detention centers covering, spanning an 11-year period that ended in December 2017. And then they extrapolated some more facts, and they estimated the kids had been wrongly arrested some 500 times. Um, that didn't account for other law enforcement office agencies in the county that were also following Davenport's, Judge Davenport's process. And they also asked about how many times the juvenile detention center had improperly locked up kids through its filter system. The lawyers estimated that was about 1,500 times. Okay, and then these lawyers created a spreadsheet, and they found that more than 50 children, identified by initials, get this, quote, 
had been jailed for offenses that wouldn't be crimes if they were adults. Let's say that one again. These lawyers in this class action suit in their spreadsheet found that more than 50 babies, quote, had been jailed for offenses that wouldn't be crimes if they were adults, end quote. And some of those were they were locked up for being, quote, unruly or for truancy or being a runaway. Now, those lawyers did get the jail's intake procedures and get this, quote, I'm just going to read straight from this, quote, the lawyers obtained the jail's intake procedures detailing how kids are required to shower while watched by a staff member of the same sex. Quote, constant visuals shall be maintained, the procedures say. All braids shall be removed and every scar, mark, and tattoo, unless located in a private area, photographed. This is what they're doing to the babies. And if they weren't police officers or detention officers doing that, they'd be guilty of child pornography. Again, why are these people still walking around? The lawyers did bring up research on how arresting and detaining children doesn't just hurt the children, but society as well. They're more likely to commit crimes in the future and have other problems. Um, the lawyers wrote, quote, detention makes mentally ill youth worse, end quote. So this is what's happening here in, in Judge Davenport's little feistum. Now, keep in mind, let's go back up one more thing, okay? Um, it's also been mentioned here that quite a few of the children, once they were placed in this jail, were then placed in solitary confinement, okay? Um, there was days after the Hobgood arrest, um, Duke staff, Lynn Duke staff, received a, a, approval from Judge Davenport to isolate indefinitely a teenager, get this, with developmental disabilities. So then he confined Quinterius Frazier, 15 years old, to his cell in isolation for 23 hours a day. They denied him music, magazines, or books except for a Bible. This baby is developmentally delayed. Again, this is not only a violation of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, but this is child abuse. By 2016, then-President Obama had banned solitary confinement for children in federal prison. But Rutherford County allowed it, and there were eight ascending levels. And they said it was crucial that, quote, kids understand, quote, understand there are consequences for all behaviors, end quote. Level one was for 12 hours. Level eight was indefinite. Okay. So this and this um, the case. The lawyers that represented EJ also represented Quinterius in a second class action suit. The federal lawsuit ended with Rutherford County being permanently banned from punishing kids with solitary. A federal judge called out the practice is inhumane. Here's the da really damning part, though. The county in settling did not admit any wrongdoing. They should have been forced to. 
Okay. And the reporters for this article also interviewed Quintarius this past summer with his mother. He's 20 now. Uh, and he described, you know, how they treated him, quote, uh, like when they fed him, quote, they opened the flap, feed me, and close it, end quote. Keep in mind, putting somebody indefinitely in isolation like that is, has been defined by the United Nations and the Nuremberg uh, Conventions as um, what, again, with the children from Hobgood, they used a charge that didn't exist. Now, the Rutherford County District Attorney did comment. And the, the District Attorney said there's no such crime as, quote, criminal responsibility. Quote, you should never, ever see a charge that says defendant so-and-so is charged with criminal responsibility for the act of another, period. Okay? But that's it. There's no mention of what they did in their personnel files, nothing. Now, Rutherford County also faced a class action accusing it of illegally arresting and jailing children. About time. And finally, a federal judge ordered Rutherford County to stop using its filter system in 2017. Okay? Um, saying that it departs drastically from ordinary standards, that it's basically um, according to the federal judge, by being subjected to illegal detention, quote, children in Rutherford County are suffering irreparable harm every day, end quote. Yes, because of child abuse and torture. They tortured babies. Rutherford uh, County settled the class action suit this June. They agreed to pay up to $11 million. Uh, but the county, as part of the settlement, quote, denies any wrongdoing in any of the lawsuits filed against it. Okay. Hmm. So how did Rutherford County get away with illegally jailing kids for so long? Well, the Tennessee Department of Children's Services licenses juvenile detention centers, but the inspectors didn't flag Rutherford County's illegal filter system. Um not once an inspector mentioned the jail's process for deciding which kids to hold. Okay. They declined any request for interview from the department's director of licensing. Um, Tennessee's administrative office of the courts does collect data statewide. In 2004, the consultant hired by Rutherford County used the data saying that Rutherford County was locking up kids more than three times the state average. Again, they get away with it because these are babies of color. This is about systemic racism. And it's about the school to prison pipeline. And it's just plain evil. If you want to read the rest of it, you can. Um, again, this story is in ProPublica. The headline is, Black Children Were Jailed for a Crime That Doesn't Exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. Check it out. So our next story, Kirsten Cinema. Now, we know that Senator Kirsten Cinema is AWOL when it comes to talking to regular constituents. She only talks to, you know, corporations and billionaires, apparently. 
And a week or so ago, the bathroom protester story broke. And these um, young women from an immigrant rights group were trying to question her about, you know, why is she basically fighting the reconciliation bill? Why is she fighting against some of the other stuff in the reconciliation bill that, for instance, could establish a pathway to um, citizenship for dreamers and things like that. And, you know, this was, they, they, they followed her into the bathroom on the campus of Arizona State University. She's teaching one course. And they didn't do anything really wrong. It, it was a public university. And she ignored them. And later, Senator Cinema issued a statement um, you know, calling it a, um, you know, an illegitimate protest and was illegal and all this stuff. And now we see that the Arizona State uh, University Police Department is pursuing charges against these bathroom protesters. And I guess my question is, did Cinema file a complaint and demand these prosecutions? So from the state press, the headline is ASUPD asked county attorney to charge protesters in Cinema case. Four people allegedly committed misdemeanors when confronting Senator Kirsten Cinema in an AHU bathroom. Okay? And this is by Piper Hansen. So the ASU Police Department referred misdemeanor charges to four people to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office October 12th. And that was after they, they finished their investigation about you know, these, these women that followed and recorded on their phone Senator Kirsten Cinema in the campus bathroom on October 3rd. Now, according to this article, the four have not been officially identified. Um, they haven't been, I'm sorry, they haven't been officially identified as either students at ASU or as activists, part of Living United for Change in Arizona, which is an immigration advocacy organization. And they were the ones that originally posted the video. Um, I've seen articles where, yes, they are activists from that group. Even if they're not students at ASU, it is a public campus. You have a right to walk in it. You have a right to go in the bathroom. And, yes, you have a right to verbally confront a U.S. senator. But according to the campus police, she allegedly committed dis that they allegedly committed disorderly conduct and disruption of an educational institution. Now, that was according to the Arizona State University Police Department spokesperson, Adam Wolf. Okay, I have never heard of the alleged crime of disruption of an educational institution. I, I just haven't. Otherwise, every time there was a practical joke um, uh, or a party that was too loud from a Greek organization or a protest, they'd all be facing charges. So it's kind of asinine. Now, the Assistant Communication Director for Maricopa County's Attorney's Office Jim, is a man named Jim Detmer. And he responded in an email saying the case was under review, but the office had asked for more information from investigating agencies. Apparently, they have nothing better to do. Mr. Detmer also said that the ASU PD, um, well, let me read this statement, and you'll see what I'm saying in a minute. Jim Detmer, he's the Assistant Communication Director for the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, sent this email saying the case was under review, quote, 
but the office had asked for more information from the investigating agencies, ASUPD, who worked with Cinema's, Senator Cinema's office and the Maricopa County, Mar- County Attorney's Office. Okay, my question is this. Why would the district attorney office and the Arizona State and the ASU police, the campus police, be working with Cinema's office um, unless Kirsten Cinema herself authorized the criminal complaint? And then my question is, how is asking questions of a senator who is absolutely AWOL, who is present on the campus of a public university, how is asking a question of this senator, using as we tell kindergarten kids your inside voice, how does that constitute disorderly conduct? It goes a little more than that, okay? Um, the police department spokesman, Mr. Wolf, also said in an email, quote, speaking generally and not referring to any specifics of this case, investigations involving canvassing the scene of the reported crime, gathering and reviewing evidence associated with the incident, and interviewing of potential witnesses. You can't even come up with a real sentence. Um, this is crazy. Now, Arizona State University's Young Democrats group tweeted Thursday, quote, protesters should not be punished for making their voices heard. We stand with them. Prosecutors must not pursue these charges. Now, it gets a little deeper than this. The actual state law on recording someone without their consent in the bathroom. Well, that's where maybe cinema could get them on something, but she really can't. The state law in Arizona says it's unlawful to photograph or record someone without their consent in a bathroom or other locations where there is a general understanding of privacy. The law only applies, I'm reading straight from this, the law only applies in cases where a person is, quote, where the person, quote, is urinating, defecating, dressing, undressing, nude, or involved in sexual intercourse or sexual contact, end quote. Things not part of the video of cinema. They've got nothing. So October 3rd, these Lucha activists, immigration activists, they followed Kirsten Cinema from her classroom into a bathroom, and you can see in the video, they're trying to ask her questions. She's just ignoring them. And this is the University Center in their downtown Phoenix campus. Um, and this was right after the immigration reform platform, the immigration reform portion of the Build Back Better plan failed. And Lucha did announce that they would continue to pressure these recalcitrant Democrats to push for past the citizenship. Um, you have to remember something. With the Dreamers, these are people whose parents may have, may have lacked papers that come here undocumented. They were babies or young children brought here. It's the only country they know. They didn't commit any crime. They should be allowed a pathway to citizenship. It was out of their control. So after the confrontation, Cinema's office released this really obnoxious statement, and she called the incident, quote, not legitimate protest. And, you know, this is, I wrote an article on this that ran in BuzzFlash. You know, I think the title was Move Over, Marie Antoinette, Kirsten Cinema, you know, is in town, whatever, something like that. You can check it out. Um, but the fact is, when you have a U.S. senator attacking the First Amendment, 
it is inexcusable because she didn't like the content of their speech. I saw the video. They weren't rude. They were not violent. They merely asked her questions that she ignored. And like the coward she is, she called it out as not legitimate protest. I would say the Supreme Court would disagree. Students who watched the video, um, you know, some of them told the state press that maybe following her into the bathroom wasn't the best way to do it. But, quote, voicing concern about bipartisanship and cinema's refusal to meet with constituents is necessary at this point. According to the story, Hannah Hurley, who is Cinema's press secretary, said an email, the office can comment. Um, once again, it looks like Kirsten Cinema is the one that most likely filed the complaint and ordered criminal charges, and they are following through. And again, there is nothing illegitimate about demanding a U.S. senator answer questions. They didn't threaten her. They didn't do any of that. They didn't block her her pathway, nothing. She could have chosen to ignore them, which she did. But it seems to me that Kirsten Cinema wants to basically slice down the First Amendment if she finds it inconvenient. If anything, if she's the one that filed the, ch the complaint, in my opinion, she's guilty of um, malicious abuse of power. Okay. So let's move on here. Now there's an essay from our former news director and founder, Rick Spiesack, or as I call him, our poet laureate. And um, it's a nice little essay. This is The title is, Regarding Texas, Great Leap Backward, I Stand with the Enlightenment. Here we go. Enlightenment is a historic fact. When humankind turned away from a church or king-ordered community, moving toward a new definition of civic life where every human life intrinsically mattered, a new kind of community where the law was intended to be applied equally to all king, nobles, and clergy. Not there yet, obviously. That is real historic change. And as Texans cynically attest, some people still long for a king or a churchman to order their confused and complicated lives. I stand with the spirit of the Enlightenment. I stand with science, with literacy, with those who stand who with those would stand free. We stand beyond the paddock of the tyrant, outside the comfortable straw of the plantation. We live in a clearer air, free from the tyranny of the feudal lord. These would-be slaves, these bootlickers, would return us to an age of serfdom where barefoot and illiterate would be gladly accept what filthy crumbs fall from the master's table. Remove any historical reference to slavery as they rush to forge new shackles for our limbs and our, for our newly obsolete minds. Beware. Eager for shackles? Troubled by too long a leash? Eager to huddle again under the baronial shadow? Longing for the clergyman's comfortable clarity in a world of uncertainty? By all means, wear the shackles and the baronial colors if you wish. I stand free with my brothers and sisters under the open skies and near the unshakable clarity of the starry night. By Rick Spizak, Poet Laureate of Progressive News Network. All right. 
And now for our last little bit here. This is a new feature that I borrowed from Dr. Rashad Ritchie. You know, he talks about every week about Karens and what he calls Karenicity, which is basically uh, white women of privilege abusing their privilege against people of color and anyone else that gets in their way. So I'm doing the jackass of the week. Drum roll, please. <laughs> this week and every week, we I will feature somebody that I believe truly is merits truly merits the new title of jackass of the week. And this week, it belongs to Missouri Governor Mike Parson and the Desi hack that never happened. We talked about this a week ago, where the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education had a major security flaw. On their website, teachers, every teacher in the state is required to provide uh, their identifying information, including all their certifications, degrees, their salaries are listed. And our social security numbers are supposed to be kept safe. Well, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education didn't do their job properly. And a reporter for the Post-Dispatch working with a, um, an IT professional at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, discovered a very dangerous data breach. This data breach was so, was so ridiculous. All it would take is you went to the top level of your computer and go to the button, that skinny row of buttons, and go to what's called F12 when you're on the DESI website, and you were able to see every Social Security number for every single one of Missouri's 100,000 teachers. Not kidding. The reporter for the Post-Dispatch notified the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education so that they could at least take the information down before they ran the story. And they waited and they ran the story. And what was Governor Mike Parson's response? He wants to pursue criminal charges against the reporter and anyone that aided and abetted. Apparently, Mike Parson, who is a Trumper GOP person, along with Kirsten Cinema, belong to that same group of politicians who despise democracy and would jail anyone that gets in their way. So for the, all of this, we award here at Progressive News Network, Governor Mike Parson of Missouri, the Jackass of the Week Award. Congratulations, Governor Parson! Woo! Okay, all fooling aside, we're going to do this every week because we cover a lot of serious stories, but we have to inject some humor. Otherwise, it's just too difficult to listen to. So with that, that's our show for tonight. And I say good night and God bless.